Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is another Kickstarter Spotlight episode, and today we're going to be talking about a really cool-looking project with gorgeous art set in a fantastical, magical realm, and I have the writer joining me. It's a, a Kickstarter campaign for a book called The Architect and the Conduit, and it's written by Catherine Gailey, and Catherine is joining us today. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, before we get into the uh, the campaign and the book itself, uh, you always want to get a little background on uh, on who we're we're talking to here. And uh, have comics always been a, a part of your life? Were they part of your childhood? Did you grow up reading them? Give us a, a little bit of background. So I always wanted to read comics, but I never really did as a kid. I was really into um, Justice League and Justice League Unlimited and a lot of like the cartoons like that, um, Batman the Animated Series. Superman the Read series, uh, Teen Titans and Young Justice and all of that I really loved as a kid. And um, I always wanted to read comics, but we didn't have a bookstore in my town growing up. And so we'd go to the town over and I'd look at the Barnes & Noble in the bookstore and I'd like see comics, but they'd always be on like issue five or something. And then I resolve myself to go home and figure out when they're starting an issue, like a run that I would want to read and I'd forget. And it wasn't really until... Um, like I graduated high school and was going into college that I found a graphic novel series I really wanted to read. And that kind of prompted me to finally do the research and start reading comics. Was there uh, anything that th that's a particular favorite? Are you a Marvel person, DC? Do you have uh, anything that you'll um, be a fan for life? Uh, DC for sure. Um, pretty much all my favorite superheroes are from DC. Uh, but I also really like uh, First Second, um, I love their graphic novels. They're like really good. Every graphic novel I've read from them is really good and they don't just do comics um, and they're good. And I also like Boom Studios. They did um, uh, Lumberjanes, which is one of my favorite series. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, that's a pretty, a pretty popular one. So uh, in terms of, you know, the creative side, even though you weren't necessarily reading comics until a little bit later, uh, did you always want to be a, a writer? Were you very into like creating your own worlds and your own stories, even from a young age? Oh yeah, for sure. I um I was always a storyteller. I did a lot of theater in um high school and middle school and I um once I got my first laptop in like seventh grade, I just like couldn't stop writing. It like I put down my toys and I picked up my computer and <laughs> then I just like couldn't stop. Um and I've always loved creating worlds. That's always been one of my favorite pastimes. Okay, well, why don't you let our listeners know what the uh, the architect and the conduit is all about, and we'll talk a little bit more about the, the creative process and where you got your uh, ideas. Okay, sure, yeah. Um, so the um, hog line here, <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, is that um, Pinehaven is a small town in the middle of nowhere with not a lot going on for itself, isolated from large cities and linked to a, the normality Oh, sorry, and linked to normality by one road, used mostly for leaving from pastures to new, new and exciting. Within the walls lives over 7,000 people, but there's something that separates Pinehaven from every other town, and that's a centuries-old magic. Magic controls everything and everybody who lives there, and the town is a mirror image of a world that exists within the magical realm, Dreamhaven, a place full of strange creatures, mechanical beings, and a city ruled by someone called the Architect. So it sounds like uh, this is really not just a, a story of a specific character or, or, you know, a specific event, but you're, you really are building a whole universe here with the story. Would you say that's true? Yeah, that is true. It has um, 
it, one of our points of inspiration was the Wizard of Oz. And so, um, as you can see with um, um, absent from the cover, she's um, very Wicked Witch of the West kind of styled. Um, and so it's really is about like the ensemble and you have like mirror image people um, from the real world that reflect into um, the um, magical. Yeah, it, it's and it's so cool because it sounds like you're drawing from so many different inspirations. It, it's is the real world. Is it set in the 80s? I kind of got when I was going through the yeah. Kickstarter. Let's, yeah. Yeah. I think specifically 1983 is when this takes place. So you've got a little bit of kind of a throwback, like Stranger Things. You've got you yeah. mentioned the Wizard of Oz, uh, the whole idea of having real world counterparts to the uh, the magical people uh, feels a little bit once upon a time. Mm -hmm. Were these a lot? Is it you just pulling inspiration from all the things that you've loved and that you've uh, you know experienced so far? Um. Yes and no. So it's actually kind of weird for me because this wasn't one of my personal projects like I was handed this sort of rough estimate of what they wanted it to be and then I filled in the rest so it was kind of a weird experience um but I I did pull from my um own life and also like a bunch of different places I did a lot of research for uh, like the first half of this in the 80s every like few pages I had to google something to make sure it was correct um so I ended up pulling from a lot of things but yeah yeah, I mean, that has to be challenging when it's not necessarily um, the seed of the idea isn't necessarily your own. Um, what was the biggest challenge in taking the, you know, the broad idea that, that you were given and making sure that you make the story personal and relatable and that you're passionate about it and you're, you're you know, putting your energy into it the right way? Um, I think one of the hardest things was making sure I didn't go too far. Um, I think when your instinct as a writer, it, when you're handed something is to make it sound like you, you know, you're like, this isn't right. This isn't me. But like the original creator's intent should be honored and recognized. And so I found myself in the early um, weeks of like after getting this beat sheet and going over it and trying to figure out what I was going to fill in and take out going, oh, I'm going to scrap everything and do it this way and then going no 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 I can't do that and then going okay I'm not going to change anything and then I like kept going back and forth and I think I finally found a good middle um I, I ended up changing some things um not like changing like big things but just like little tweaks here and there that I thought added more to the story and then I added gave them a list of suggested changes um that I thought might be too far for me to do on my own um, but they were really accepting of the changes and let me do all of them. So I was like really excited by that. <laughs> well, I mean, I think they recognized, you know, that the writer that, I mean, that's your job, right? You're, you're yeah. the one that's supposed to be telling the story. And if it works out better that way, I mean, that they must've saw something in you. So they've got to tr even trust their own decision-making on who they bring into the project. Right. Mm -hmm. For sure. Uh, was there a certain point? where you got to where you felt like, okay, now I know exactly, like the characters start speaking to me. I, I hear from so many writers where they start off and they're trying to find their footing and they're not sure if they're nailing it, but the, at some point the story and, and the characters start speaking to you or starts writing itself, all of a sudden things click into place, it gets a lot easier. Did you have a, a point when you were in the project where you, you felt like, okay, now I got it. Now I know where it's going. Um. A little bit. I think the thing for me was taking um, his mom and sort of trying to humanize her more to myself because 
you know, you have this archetype. It's like, oh, it's the mom of the main character. And it's like, yeah, but like, she's gone through this tragic thing. I mean, um, they talk about in the Kickstarter, like she's gone through like the death of her husband. Like, that's a big deal. She's a single mom. That's hard, you know? And so um, sort of like connecting to her. I mean, my mom is a single mom. So like, I kind of relate to that. And then also like looking in to absinthe um, as the counter to um, his uh, bully, like in the real world and sort of going like, okay, if they're like one in the same coin, like this bully's a teenager, you know, like recognizing the absinthe as a teenager was like something that kind of struck something in me. Cause I was like, what is really going on with her? And like, is she just this like rampaging villain or is she like a person and like has a drive behind the reason that she's doing the things she's doing? You know, it doesn't have to be like, um, a good thing that she's doing, but there is a reason for everything she does because she's a person, you know? Right. Yeah. It makes it relatable. Like you said, even if the things she's doing are kind of, um, irredeemable, you got, she's got to have a, like you said, a motivation for yeah. why she's, why she's doing it. Uh, do we know how long the series is, is going to be and have you, uh, you know, do, do you have it all at least plotted out or written out or where are we with, with that? Um, well, for me, I have, so I know I'm already working on issue two now. So, but um, before I even started issue two, when I got um, the green light to go ahead and like that I was going to be writing the issues like on my own from now on, I wanted to go ahead and flesh it out. So I actually fleshed out like the whole like first season equivalent just to like know where I was building to because I didn't want to make grand strokes and like not have a plan. Um, especially with like, when you get into fantasy and sci-fi, you have to like have lore to the, um, mystical things you're doing and like have them built to a place. Um, I didn't want to like create this wacky ending that like came out of nowhere. (laughs) So. That's interesting. What you just said there, when it's sci-fi or fantasy, you need to have the lore. And I, I guess I've never thought about that before, but you're, you're so right. There's gotta be some built-in either super science or fantastical mm-hmm. magical elements in order for it to feel like something otherworldly or super futuristic as opposed to just regular fiction where if it's set in our regular world we we don't consider it lore it's i guess it's our actual history and just yeah. society so was that a was that a challenge to build the lore i mean how much of of what they gave you and, and saying, okay, here's the story. How much lore was there? How much did you have to build from whole cloth? Um, so really all that I was given was that absinthe does magic and um, the architect and the city is all like very technological based and sort of um, they were thinking like art deco and like um, sort of like a lot of those sort of like sci-fi futuristic city vibes. And so I knew those two things and then I kind of went from there. So I, I ended up taking a um, very like nature versus like man-made technology kind of angle to the story and sort of like um, nature being like magical inherently in this world. And like, how does that factor in? What is the wildlife like? Like trying to um, get that angle into the story as um, Sam ends up exploring more of the world um, and his adventures. So yeah. The- do you find that you enjoy one part of the process more than the other? So much of 
the world building and the lore happens behind the scenes <laughs> and it shows up in the story kind of con subtextually or, you know, very nuanced. And, and as a reader, we may not always pick up on all the work that's been done behind the scenes. <laughs> Is that something that's a lot of fun for you, that, that world building, even though it might not be overt? Or do you prefer doing working on the characters and the, narr uh, the, uh, the characterization? Uh, I find the world building and the characterization went hand in hand. I actually kind of took a week or two um, to just like every morning I would sit down and I'd read what I had and then I'd just write a new paragraph. And then I'd go and I'd do like my regular work stuff. And then the next day I'd come back and I'd write a new paragraph. And it was like I was making the backstory as well, also building the world. And they like kind of fit in together. In my experience with storytelling, it's not like this thing where you do different pieces at a time. It's all sort of like this puzzle and you're like, okay, I'll, what if I flip it around this way and put this in? Oh no, that doesn't work anymore. Okay, how would it run if I did this? You know, it's like a machine. And so you kind of already have all the pieces in your head somewhere. You just gotta like find them as you go. <laughs> so it, sound, it almost sounds like you you think of the world, you know, both the magical natural world and, and this futuristic world as characters themselves and you're just writing their story at the same time you're writing the story of the, of the characters is that accurate oh yeah for sure i think um nature and um the universe i guess i don't know um kind of factor in to the characters especially when you have something like magic in the world i mean that factors into the environment that factors into like the way the plants grow you know and so that ends up becoming like an important element of the story not plants but just the magic, I guess. <laughs> right, right. No, I got, I gotcha. Uh, well, your artist on the uh, on the project is somebody that's been around for a long time, Brian Ching. You know, you mentioned you're a big DC fan, so you probably were familiar with his work. Uh, so, when did you know right away who the artist was going to be on the project? No, I didn't actually. I um, they hired me before they hired an artist, and when they said they were hiring an artist, I, I asked them. They're like, "Oh, we don't know anyone yet, so we're not gonna tell you." And I was like, "Okay, that's fine." <laughs> I like didn't really know what the scale of this project was like I just sort of got an email one day after not applying for anything and so I was like am I being scammed <laughs> um but when I found out that Brian was working on it I was like oh my god I was like this is like big because he's like amazing artist you know I didn't know what level they said they were gonna get someone new and then it was him and he's definitely new and so I was like really shocked but it's beautiful I honestly started geeking out when I saw um, like the outfits I described put onto the characters. Like I could not believe how well he um, translated the things. And yeah, Norma, I, to, robot, I love her so much. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to ask about uh, about the, the character designs and how much back and forth. Did you just give him like character sheets and said, this is kind of how I see them uh, in my head and he just nailed it? Or was there back and forth with having to tweak the looks on certain things? Um, there... I don't think there was much back and forth. Well, actually there wasn't. Um, he really knew what he was doing. He nailed it. But um, I, what I did was I tried to be very specific in my descriptions. I just give him as much as information as I could without being too obnoxious, hopefully. And I specifically pulled from certain eras. So um, I knew with the Wicked Witch of the West, um, her dress is, I think it's, I, I wrote in the script, but I think it's like, 1890s fashion like that's like where it came from mm -hmm. and I like to sew personally so I um have done 
research into historical fashion. So I described like, oh, it's this kind of dress, but it's shorter so that she can like run around, you know, and I described the staff vaguely, you know, um, I gave some reference photos, I think for um, some characters that um, I didn't know how to describe the outfit. I was like, it's like this kind of suit, you know? <laughs> um, but the 80s stuff, I just mostly gave him like, oh, it's like this thing that has a right. name, you know? <laughs> That's great. Uh, and then when it came time to actually have him start on the story, um, and, and that's where really everything comes to life, how much uh, collaboration was there uh, at that point? Or, or was it just a like, again, he's a pro, he's been around, he's fantastically talented, you just handed him the script. And, you know, it was like he was in your head. Um, I mostly just handed him the script, really. Um, we had, um, like, Richard was the guy who like put everything together. And so um, I would send things to Richard and then he'd like send them on to Brian. And so we didn't actually end up in an email chain until recently. Um, but I, I think there was a little bit of back and forth because um, when I suggested um, some changes to like that, they um, add in some of the changes I suggested. And I was like kind of debating back and forth with them a little bit. Um, Brian like backed me up and he was like, yes, actually, I really like those changes. And also let's, change this thing too and it was an amazing idea and so i was like really excited about it but yeah. yeah i mean that's the beautiful thing about uh you know comics you, you, mm -hmm. even if you know it sounds like you know richard's the editor on this but it, it's great when you can come up with an idea you know maybe from the time you wrote it to the time you brian puts it on the page once you see it visually like oh wait this is going to work better and brian being a you know a professional and a storyteller that that clicks uh, as well. And so it's like you're pulling the best out of uh, each other. I think that's what's great about the collaborative process because writing is so solitary. Yeah. So until you bring on somebody else to add the visuals and get it kind of a different eye on it, you may, it may not be the, the best way, right? Yeah. I had never worked so like tightly with people before. Like when I was in college, we did, um, we would have like film things that we had written and there was always a writer and then some of us would be the actors. But for some reason, that's like not the same, even though you're all working off the same script. I've never felt like I was working as closely with people until I started working on this comic. And it was like a completely different experience um, to have people so closely examining your words, you know. So does this make you want to do more, more work in comics? Oh, for sure. I mean, I already wanted to work in comics, but this has like been a wonderful experience. Yeah, it's, that's great. Uh, well, why don't you tell our uh, listeners about what some of the tiers are that are that are offered um, for the the project? And I do want to let everybody know uh, when I first reached out to Catherine about this, it, it the project was not yet fully funded, but since uh, that time, it has been fully funded. So this is another situation where if you do go and check out the campaign and join, it's guaranteed to happen. The book is going to come out. It's going to be created. You'll uh, for sure get it. Uh, so C Catherine, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody what some of the, the rewards are that they can get? Okay. Um, so as of right now, um, the only tier I really see, I've really been looking at it and seeing is that um, if you pledge uh, like $3 or more, you can um, get your name in the list of thank yous in the book, but they're about to start adding more tiers and like specific um, special versions of the comic book um, with like, like platinum cool like coloring and stuff on the covers and like shiny details 
Um, so that should be added soon. And I believe there's also a poster tier. I don't know if that's still up. I think everyone got that one already, but it's oh, like yeah. the Virgin posters um, without the names and such. Yeah, and uh, obviously there's, you know, digital only, if, if that's the way you like to read your comics, there's uh, any number of covers that you can get. So there's a, there's a lot there. Um, I'll put a link to the, uh, the Kickstarter in the show notes as always, everybody. Uh, so you can go click there. And uh, as always, I'm going to remind you that even if it's not for you or you don't think that this is a project that you uh, have the means to, to back right now, even if you want to, please just share it on social media. Um, because again, the more eyes that we get on this, the more people that do want to uh, join the campaign and do have the, the means currently get a chance to join. There's nothing worse than you know, finding a Kickstarter you would have loved to have been a part of, but it ended the day before or a couple days before. So even if you don't think it's for you, um, just please uh, share it on social media. Every little bit helps. We want uh, everybody who's interested in, in this project to be able to uh, to join the, the campaign. And uh, Catherine, are all the uh, issues as a whole story, is it all going to be kickstarted? Do you know? I'm not sure. From what I understand, we're actually talking to some publishers, so it might actually end up getting published after issue one. Um, but none of that's like set in stone, so we're not really sure what's happening yet. Gotcha. Do you know how many issues it, it would be? Um, not exactly. I have plans. Um, it already plotted out to be potentially like 10, 20 potentially issues um, that I could probably stretch it out to, if not more. Um, so as long as they need them, I can keep writing. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to, to join me. Uh, I'm definitely going to be pledging. I think I'm going to get the full Monty, which has uh, any number of covers. There's one that has a, a numbered hollow foil, and then there's a virgin variant and an individually numbered issue one. So I think that's what I'm going to go for, but I haven't, I got to take a closer look at some of the, the other rewards and see, uh, but it's been great talking to you. Uh, congratulations on, on the project being fully funded. Uh, it's fantastic. We definitely need new uh, young voices writing uh, comics and telling stories. And uh, you certainly seem to be uh, very excited and passionate and, and putting your all into this. So I really appreciate you talking to me. Thank you for having me. Uh, and as we're closing uh, up here, is there um, anything else you want to let our listeners know? Um, nothing specific. Uh, if they want to follow me, I have an Instagram, um, Catherine Writes Things. I have a link tree there, and there's like all of my social media if they're interested. Uh, but other than that, uh, they should read the comic because it's really good, and I'm excited about it. Yeah, I agree. It looks uh, fantastic. And everybody, I'll put a link to Catherine's Instagram in the show notes as well. So if you're having trouble finding it, you can just go to the show notes and, and uh, click there. So uh, again, link to the campaign as well in the show notes. Catherine, it's been a pleasure. Uh, best of luck with the, the campaign. And uh, I hope you get a chance to tell this entire story. It's, I mean, it's absolutely amazing. It, the art looks gorgeous, really cool sounding idea. And uh, I'm glad you, uh, you funded the first issue. Can't wait. Thank you. And to you listeners, uh, we want to thank you for joining as always. We appreciate your support and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. 
Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.